This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 24th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. There is some new information about the agreement between former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort and the special counsel's office, but it's just as telling how much we still don't know about what he told prosecutors. Julian Sanchez, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, comments. There was a, a document filed by an affiant from the special counsel's office uh, that was laying out for the court in greater detail their allegation that uh, Paul Manafort had breached his cooperation agreement uh, by lying to the special counsel's office uh, about a number of different issues. And in a way, maybe just the most striking thing is how much of it is redacted, suggesting how much of what the office is looking at is still not really part of the public record. Um, they didn't redact things that have already been reported on, um, but there was an enormous amount of detail, sometimes entire sections that were almost wholly redacted, mostly concerning uh, Manafort's interactions with uh, Konstantin uh, Kilimanek, uh, who uh, is uh, believed to be uh, a former Russian intelligence officer, although as, as is often said, there's no one is really a former intelligence officer in, in Russia. So a lot of the concerned uh, Manafort's alleged lies, or at least falsehoods, about not having uh, met with Kilimanek, uh, not having discussed, for example, Ukraine peace plans with him. Kilimanek, it's worth mentioning, has also been charged in, uh, with helping Manafort witness tamper by attempting to get people to uh, confirm his sort of false story about whether these foreign lobbying offices were targeting propaganda at the U.S. So for anybody who became familiar with Paul Manafort in 2016, I think it was Betsy Woodruff who had the the super long piece that just yep. detailed how he was essentially a uh, lobbyist for uh, tyrants, for authoritarians yes. around the world. That mm -hmm. was his job. So it shouldn't actually surprise anyone that – the activities that he was engaged in on behalf of the Trump campaign were at least questionable. Right. And, uh, you know, it was an earlier document that uh, had had revealed that he had, among other things, shared internal polling data with Kilimanek, again, a, a former intelligence officer, um, which seems unusual. That's usually pretty closely held internal data. It's hard to see what legitimate reason um, there could be for providing that kind of detailed data to someone like that. But most of the information about his contact with Kilmanek in, in this latest document is is essentially blacked out. Um, there are, though, some other interesting details that are new here, um, though they're mostly not directly connected to the, the Russian interference angle. One is that they uh, flesh out a little bit the idea that he had lied about not having contacts with people in the administration, and they go into a little more detail and suggest that in fact, he was, uh, through an intermediary, uh, effectively trying to get people appointed, not just trying, but getting people appointments uh, in the administration. And that links to another interesting point, which is a supposed lies about this sort of mysterious $125,000 payment. Um, again, there are some redactions here, but if you read between the lines, it looks as though the payment in question was essentially to settle some of Manafort's old legal bills in uh, the summer of uh, – of 20, uh, I think it was actually 2017, that the um, 
a payment was made. Um, but what emerges from reading between the lines a little bit and adding information we know from other public reporting is that this is a payment um, that was tied to the PAC, the Political Action Committee, uh, that Manafort has sent a couple of his allies and friends to launch in the summer of 2016. Uh, and so this is sort of an interesting story that you can cobble together. It's been confirmed by external reporting that the Rebuilding uh, America Now PAC is indeed the organization that's referenced, but it's fairly clear from the description that that is what what they're talking about. And the story appears to be as follows. Again, this is sort of a reconstruction from several uh, different documents that they've filed. Uh, it appears that Lawrence Gay, who is uh, uh, the godfather of one of Manafort's daughters, um, had been sort of informally working for the campaign, wasn't collecting a salary, was on the campaign, and was sort of sent to run this newly launched organization that um, pulled in, I think, about $25 million, uh, almost entirely from a handful of small donors, um, maybe the most prominent one being Linda McMahon, uh, the uh, wife of Vince McMahon, the, just related to professional wrestling, uh, and is now the head of the Trump administration's small business administration. Um, so this is an appointment she got. And the interesting thing there is, is just sort of uh, the window it provides into how this functioned. At the time this launched, a lot of people pointed out that these were, you know, it was started by people who had been associated with the campaign. There's supposed to be a sort of cooling off period between work on a campaign and on independent political action committee. And the reason for that, of course, is that, especially after Citizens United, is independent groups that are making expenditures um, have sort of a First Amendment right to to take out ads and that sort of thing. And so – But coordination um, exactly. is still a threat. Uh, if, exactly. If, if so you, they're not subject to the kinds of regulations that apply to campaign spending – but of course, the, the idea is that the expenditures have to be genuinely independent, um, that they you can't get sort of free of the regulation by having something that's really an arm of the campaign, um, sort of posing as an independent group, which may be one of the reasons this was a topic Manafort attempted to mislead the special counsel's office about, because what emerges from the documents, <laughs> the story here is that uh, you know, of this $25 million they'd raised very quickly, mostly, again, from a few large donors, um, they spent about $19 million in payments to a group called Multimedia uh, Services, which does tends to be conservative-oriented, does sort of election ad buys. Um, what was not disclosed at the time is that the contract uh, with the, this media buy organization um, specified that they were going to take a 6% cut as their commission. That was their sort of payment for arranging all these buys. But Lawrence Gay, Manafort's allies, had essentially done a kind of an informal agreement that they would kick back half of that, uh, that commission to him as, a, as a sort of his personal payment. And so it appears that this is how the payoff of Manafort's legal bills was arranged, that the multimedia services was essentially holding the half of the commission that they had promised to uh, Gay and essentially used that pool at Gay's request to pay off uh, those legal bills. The implication is that Manafort himself may have had some kind of additional sort of kickback agreement with Gay that they were going to split those funds. And if you look at, uh, I dug into the FEC filings of what this PAC did with all that money, 
you know, after the election and during the election, and you see it sort of consistent with this essentially being a kind of grift because you see that they paid that $19 million for media buys, but then the following year, outside of the two 2016 reportings to FEC, that group paid them back about $1.2, million, $1.5 million. So a big chunk of that $19 million ended up being refunded. Uh, in fact, that was essentially the, the only income uh, for the PAC in 2017. And what happened to that was essentially all of that money then got paid out to about four or five people who were the executive staff of this organization as political consulting fees. Um, there were also just an enormous amount of expenses on very lavish meals, very expensive meals, uh, and travel and hotels at nice places. Um, and it looks like after the election, the PAC kind of kept running, but it didn't do any actual political action. It didn't do any further electoral spending. It didn't really even raise any additional money with a, a couple of very small exceptions. So it looks as though, you know, if you, if you look at the, the 2016 FEC filings, it looks sort of normal. If you look at the following year's filings, it looks like they're actually taking back a bunch of the money that they had supposedly spent running ads against Hillary Clinton and then just splitting up among themselves. And again, they're calling this political consulting fees, but since the PAC isn't actually doing anything, it's hard to imagine how much real political consulting could have been happening. It looks like they're just divvying up the funds. So a lot of people, uh, the the you know the desire on on so many people who live and work in Washington, D.C., uh, and people who are generally opposed to this president is, how does this get any closer to proving some sort of willful violation, an impeachable offense, if you will, on the part of the president of the United States? Uh, you know, that particular detail, maybe it doesn't. However, I will say, again, it's at least not necessarily with respect to the supposed Russian collusion, I do think it actually gets you closer to at least an arguable campaign violation. Because if, if as it appears, um, the folks running this pack had a kind of kickback agreement, um, so they're not just doing their ads uh, and their media buys through the same company, multimedia services, that the Trump campaign itself is using. But in fact, they've got detailed arrangements with the campaign manager about how they're going to split up kickbacks from the ad buys they're doing, well, at that point, the PAC is pretty obviously discussing in some detail what they're doing with the manager of the campaign, which, you know, I, I mean, I th at that point, I think it becomes impossible to seriously argue, you know, this is a real independent PAC and they're not coordinated with the campaign, at which point, you know, the natural question is, well, you know, are we, are we to believe that Trump was not aware of this? Right. And uh, it is easy to imagine that either he did or did not. It, it, I, either one is seems yes. equally plausible to me. Right. I mean, it seems clear Manafort was certainly involved. So the question you would then ask is, was Trump aware of that? I think either way, um, it's uh, it reflects poorly. One other question is, you know, you you do now wonder, hey, if Paul Manafort was working on getting people appointments in the administration, and Paul Manafort essentially got a personal payday from the, these kickbacks that the, the PAC had arranged with the company that was doing their media buys, what was the relationship between this and Linda McMahon's very large donations to the PAC? Obviously, nothing about this in itself says she was effectively paying Manafort to lobby for her to, to get an appointment, but it does obviously raise questions about whether the direct financial benefit to Manafort 
from his dealings with this pack were in some way connected with the fact that he was apparently through intermediaries working to get people appointments in the administration. Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.